All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit to come and to minister to us today. I pray that you would speak words of power to our heart, that you would put life into our life, that you would put meaning into our desires. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would stir us up in the best of what we have, in the best of what you have given us. I pray that you would make us people of purpose and power, that we would be an influence in our world, and that whatever change needs to happen in us this morning, uh, to make us powerful in our purpose this week. You would bring it. We receive with joy and expectation in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. Uh, my question to begin is, uh, do, you think, do, you think you're, do you think you're done yet? Are you finished? You got, you got more uh, ahead of you to do? Absolutely. Uh, and there's new fruitfulness to come. There's more fruitfulness to happen this week. Not so sure about that, but uh, take a minute and, and really think about that as, as we begin. I mean, do you really trust that there's a lot of fruitfulness for you uh, directly ahead? Yes? I mean, take, take an honest evaluation of yourself. Uh, do you really believe it? Do you really trust it? Are you kind of like, well, sure, if you say so. Uh, how many of you want there to be a lot of fruitfulness and purpose ahead in your life? Sure, there's a difference between desiring that and, and wanting that. Um, and uh, purpose, a purposeful life is challenging enough that I think to make our desires for purpose real, uh, to make them happen, you actually have to have quite a bit of faith involved. Every bad thing starts with fear. Every good thing starts with faith. It's worth it every once in a while just to think, well... Do I have my faith on? Uh, is, is, my, is my game really on? I think it's a game that we play with ourselves a lot uh, as we live out the life of faith in the world. Sometimes we're like, yes, moving in faith. And other times we're like, well, you know, I, I want fruitfulness to happen, but mostly I just hope that life gets easier. And that's, you know, a, a little bit of a compromise. We sort of start to veer away from our purpose Although I suppose both could be true. Your life could be more fruitful and purposeful and easier. Who wants that? But alas, uh, we've just spent about three months in this sermon series on purpose and what it takes to live a life of power and purpose. How many of you have been here for that series? How many of you are sick and tired of me talking about purpose? A few honest people. And of course, one of the main things that we've learned is that to live a life of purpose requires a great deal of forcefulness in life. Uh, you have to live with a lot of focused force, uh, which is why I feel entitled to talk about purpose for three months, because it just takes a lot of oomph uh, to pull it off. Purpose has to be what you're about. If you're going to live a meaningful life, then you really have to concentrate on living a meaningful life. Uh, it's like you're trying to concentrate in my sermon right now instead of wondering if the wall is going to blow down behind me. Uh, it probably won't. Um, is your mind filled with concentration on purpose or is it filled with other things? Uh, one of the ways to uh, ask yourself is, this is, is, is your mind filled with I can statements? What can you do today? You can pray today, you can sing today, 
You can what? You can encourage someone today. What can you do today? You can take your kid to Cub Scouts today. In Jesus. Absolutely. Um, do you have a lot of can statements in your head as you go through the day? Or do you have a lot of to statements in your head? You know, meaning, are you too busy? Are you too tired? Are you too young? Are you too old? Is it just too much? Do you have a lot of to statements in your head? Or do you have a lot of can statements in your head? Pretty good uh, measure of whether or not you're concentrating on purpose and meaning and fruitfulness in life. Well, one of the keys to living powerfully is to know what you know. And all of the little things that I just reviewed there in the first four minutes are things that we have covered in this sermon series. Um, I want to begin to wrap up our sermon series on living with purpose and power just by reviewing some of the things that we've covered uh, and to do it in a way that helps us to know what we know. Uh, to remember what it is that we've learned. There's this great uh, verse in uh, the opening chapter of the book of James. Anyone who listens to the message but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Kind of funny. Uh, have you ever forgotten what you look like? Have you ever wished you could forget what you look like? All right, that's a different question. It's a different question. But have you ever forgotten what you look like? Looked in the mirror and then walked away and said, what, what color are my eyes again? Uh, but the, James, who's writing this book, is kind of poking fun at the way a lot of us live life. We learn a lesson. We develop a conviction. And then 24 hours later, it's like, gone. You know? Uh, and so a really useful capacity in life is to intentionally remember what you know. This is what review times are for, you know. Um, get, it, get it down. Boil it down and anchor it in your life some way. Um, it's, it's helpful to, well, we usually call it memorize, don't we? It's helpful to memorize the things that you want to memorize, to fix things in your mind or to fix things in your spirit so that once you have them, you really have them. And particularly when it comes to those things uh, that, that uh, are important to living life. I mean, if you've learned a lesson in this sermon series, if you have received anything of value that helps you live powerfully and with a life of purpose, do you know it? I mean, is it there? Or do you have to go back and refer it to your notes? Because you all take notes, right? Absolutely. Um, I have ideas that I've learned in life which I just refuse to forget. One of the things that I've learned in life is to make a point to remember what I've learned in life. Uh, so uh, I, uh, I reference every once in a while in sermons my personal proverbs. Uh, there are great proverbs in the Bible which I try to learn, but when I learn a life lesson, I try to turn it into a proverb. I try to turn it into a slogan, and I keep these in files on my desk. Uh, before the sermon this morning, I printed out one of my files. Every line is a personal proverb that I've learned uh, over the last uh, three years. And these are all things that, you know, then I, I try to commit to memory. I try to put them into a pithy little saying 
a slogan, something that I could stick on a bumper sticker, because I know if it's longer than a bumper sticker, I'm not going to remember it. Amen. Amen. I don't even need you guys to say amen today because the wind is doing it for me. Do you believe in God more than you fear the collapse of this gymnasium? This is active worship right here in this moment, people. Focus in. This is it. To live with purpose, you need to concentrate. Uh, so, you know, I, and no, no particular order. Some, some of my personal proverbs. Uh, few people have what it takes to do the best they can. Few people have what it takes to do the best they can. Very few people in life ever try to do the best uh, they can. And you have to develop quite a bit of faith to try that hard. Amen. Uh, don't waste time on impatience. That's a big one for me. Don't waste time on impatience. Um, an inexplicable life is an unmistakable life. My wife laughs, says, yeah, you are unmistakable, dear. Christianity has too, too much influence, Jesus too little. Uh, all sorts of things that, anyway, little, little things that I try to remember that inform uh, the way that I live. Maybe you have some personal lessons in Proverbs as well. These, to me, are like, like, like anchor pins. You ever done any rock climbing? You climb up a, a face of granite, you put little pins into the rock, and you attach a your, uh, your tether or your line through them, so that as you go, if you fall, then you don't fall all the way back to the ground. You only fall as far as the last pin you put in the rock. So you might fall eight feet instead of 80, which is really helpful. It helps ensure that you only go up in life, only go up on your climb. That's what I'm trying to do, to make sure we, we've covered so much stuff in this series. I want to put some anchor pins into the rock, you know, some, some proverbs, some crystallized lessons uh, that hopefully can travel with us as, as we go forward. In, in our culture, we have this sort of popular idea of words to live by. When somebody gives you a good piece of advice, you might say, ah, well, those are words to live by. That's not just a good lesson. That's a, that's a good lesson that will help me navigate life every day. I call them power phrases. I like to remember these power phrases that aren't just good lessons for me to have and to look up, but I try to keep them on my dashboard. I try to keep them on my desktop because they help me live uh, every day. And today I want to cover what I think are some of the power phrases uh, that I've come up with as um, uh, we've explored this idea of living on power and with purpose. Uh, but you're really going to have to warm up and focus in today uh, because there's uh, so much uh, climactic interference. So the wind is really blowing. The wind is really pounding on the walls. Here's what we're going to do. Take a big breath and blow back at the wind, okay? So everybody, take a big breath. Blow. So it's just like a chi exercise or something. Also, some of you need to brush your teeth. One more time. One more time. Now, a deep breath. We're just going to blow out all the distraction, and we're going to focus in. Maybe the weirdest warm-up exercise we've ever done. All right, one of the keys to good power phrases and, and good proverbs is that they don't have to come to you in any order. Every one is kind of a little encapsulated lesson. So I'm going I'm to go through about 15 of them. 
in, in some semblance of order, uh, but they don't necessarily build on uh, each other. It's not a summary outline of our sermon series. It's just stuff that you might remember. And if you like it, write it down, put it in your smartphone, or just really commit it to memory. Number one, and this is kind of how we started, culture is the best coach. Culture is the best coach. You guys remember that one? The idea is that there's a difference between teaching and coaching. Most of us, particularly if we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we don't need to learn the lesson. What we need to do, what we need is help in doing the lesson. Right? So coaches will instruct you in the skills of the game, but mostly what a coach does is stand beside you and remind you what you're doing to point out when you're not doing what you're supposed to do, to help it be live for you every day. And that's one thing that we do for each other at Blue Water Mission. The reason we gather isn't primarily to learn new stuff. The reason we gather is to help each other be true to what we already learned. And the best way to do that is to not constantly sit down and review what we know, the way to do it is to build a, a culture, you know, and a culture is just sort of a, a system of expectation and values that is self-reinforcing. When we walk into the church, we should feel faith and purpose. When we walk into the church, we should feel like we can follow through on what we're all doing together. You go out there in the world and you have friction during the week, but when you walk into your Ohana group or when you walk into Sunday service, whatever blue water gathering you walk into, you should feel the kingdom difference. It should become easier to remember who you are and what you're about. Culture is the best coach. Uh, and in that sense, uh, I want everybody to understand that we are coaches for one another. Right. You have to encourage one another. So turn to the person next to you and uh, encourage, encourage that person. You can do it. Your breath isn't that bad. You are a purposeful person. Excellent. And to the degree you do that every Sunday without my prompting, it has become culture. All right, did you hear that? To the degree that you do that every Sunday without my prompting, it has become culture. And then it works. Then it's the best coach there is. Once we get it and do it all the time, once we expect it, then it's become culture. And that's what we're after. Yes? Give me a thumbs up. All right, you might remember this little phrase. When Jesus calls a person, he always calls that person to purpose. When Jesus calls a person, he always calls that person to purpose. This really clarifies the kingdom of God for me. Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me. He said, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He, he always has a job for you to do. He's not asking you to agree with him. He's not asking you to believe that he exists and that he is who he says he is, although that's a big part of what he's asking. What he's asking you to do is to put it into practice. What he's asking you to do is to fulfill the design that God has given you. 
It's a life of adventure. It really is. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a doctrine that you believe in. It's an adventure that you live. And Jesus was so clear about that with everyone, which is why he never said, hey, agree with me. He always said, follow me. You have to, you have to get on your feet and move if you want to be a part of this. When Jesus called you, he called you to a purpose for your life, a job for you to do. And it's one manner of thinking, the most important thing for you to keep track of day to day. Why does God design the universe in that way? Because what God is after with you is not agreement, it's trust. He doesn't want you to believe that he's there. He wants you to trust in him, to take risks, trust presumes risk. And that means you have to do stuff. That means you have to lay it on the line. That means you have to go to work. Trust is active. You can believe in God sitting in an armchair eating cold cereal, but you can only trust God if you're ministering on his behalf. If you're, if you're laying something on the line, trust is the thing that develops our character, and it's the thing that we lacked in Eden we believed God existed. We just didn't trust he was good and worth following. And of course, when we live out our purpose, it also demonstrates uh, love because his purposes are always wrapped up in loving other people and loving him. It shows the world that a relationship with God is worth it. It's worth it. Uh, next one. In your purpose lies your power. If God has designed you for a purpose, then it's in the doing of that purpose that all the power of the kingdom is released in you. In your purpose lies your power. If you want to have a powerful, fruitful life, you must pursue your purpose in life. Period. Full stop. End of sentence. It's in following your purpose that all that wonderful miracle-working power is released uh, in your life. Purpose is not what you add at the end of your day if you have time and energy. It is the thing that releases the energy and redeems your time. This is what Jesus meant when he said, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. The first thing you have to do is your kingdom calling. That's the first thing you have to do. And that really releases power for the rest of it to happen in a good way. The first thing you have to do is your ministry calling in life. Your purpose is your design. It's what God designed you for. So your life will never work out well if you're not doing it according to your design. I mean, you can drive a nail with a screwdriver, but it's not very efficient, right? If you're a screwdriver, you know, you should be turning screws. If you're a hammer, you should be driving nails. And that will kind of release building to happen in your life. That wasn't as sexy an analogy as it sounded in my head, but, but you get the point, right? Um, a lot of times we feel like, well, you know, I can't, I can't do ministry. I can't really pursue my kingdom purpose because, well, my family needs me. Your family needs you. But believe me, your family needs you to follow your purpose and your ministry calling. Because until you do, you'll be half the person you're meant to be. They won't get all of you. And your family wants to have all of you. Seek first the kingdom. And then everything will be added unto you. That's Jesus' promise. Next one. You can live out of your purpose or you can live out of your struggle. 
And I think that's usually the choice in our life. There are two ways to live in life. You can live out of your purpose. You can live for your purpose. You can live according to your purpose. Or you can live out of your struggle. You can live according to your struggle. That's the choice that most of us face day to day. You always have the choice because these two things always exist in your life. You always have purpose to achieve and you always have struggle to deal with every day. All of you. So you have that choice every day. So do you identify with your purpose or do you identify with your struggle? Do you count on your purpose or do you count on struggle being there all the time? Uh, lots of people have severe struggles in life. Lots of people have severe traumas in life, severe disappointments in life, and they never recover from them. They never recover. They never adapt after they've had the struggle or the injury. And sometimes struggle forces us to adapt. Sometimes it hurts us, and we have to adapt or evolve. Some people have a struggle, a trauma, a disappointment, and they never evolve. They never change. They just get stuck. And if you are stuck in life, I can almost guarantee you it's because you're living according to your struggle. If you want to get unstuck in life, I almost guarantee you that the way out is to live according to the purpose that God gave you. You always have that choice. To live with purpose, build a pathway to purpose. We talked about this one a lot, the pathway to purpose. Uh, and we uh, came up with this little model uh, to build a pathway to purpose. You know, your big God-given purpose, your vision, your tools, your virtues, different ways to model it. The whole point is, is, to, is to think of a path, think of a method that you can use uh, to pursue purpose in your life. Your purpose is what you want to achieve in life. Now, your vision is your strategy or your how-to, how I'm going to go about achieving that. And then you have tools that you might use. Uh, money is a tool. Your gifts are tools, you know. Your community can be a tool and a resource for you. Tools are the ingredients that go into your vision, your how-to. And then there are virtues, which are your attitudes. You know, what kind of attitude do you have to have to do this right? You've got to have faith. You've got to have love. Those, two's, those two are gimmies. But maybe you need, I don't know, discipline. Maybe you need relentlessness. Maybe you need patience. All these things are good, but some of them are going to be particularly important to you. And anyway, you need to build a pathway. You need to have a plan. You need to have a way that you go about achieving purpose. Otherwise, you'll never achieve it. It doesn't just happen. You have to be really intentional about it. Uh, so, I could ask you today, we've talked about this a lot, do you have an active plan, an active method that you are pursuing every day to achieve your purpose? So, I, if I made you stand up and I interviewed you here in front of everyone, and you know I might, could you articulate your active, everyday plan for achieving your God-given purpose. If you've been hanging around Blue Water the last few months, you should be able to do that. You might not think that it's perfect yet, but you should be able to articulate it. So I'm going to give you 15 seconds to think of it.
All right, you lucked out. <laughs> That's a good self-inventory. Uh, can you describe your own plan? If you can't articulate it, if you can't describe it, then of course you're not doing it. And if you don't have a plan for moving forward, I guarantee you you're not moving forward in your purpose because the world requires more of us than just casual agreement with God's purpose. It requires force, uh, which is my next one. Uh, I don't know which one we're on now. One, two, three, four, five, six or so. Purpose needs force. Purpose needs force. Purpose does not happen casually. You are designed for purpose. God has given you a calling in life, something that is specific to your life, but that doesn't guarantee it's going to happen. In fact, in this world, there is so much friction, there's so much against us that the only way to achieve purpose is to have an attitude, a mentality of forcefulness, right? You remember that? You remember the kata that we did? Um, when opportunity for purpose comes up, probably you're going to need to psych yourself up to take that opportunity. Probably you're going to need to force yourself to move forward in the situation. It's going to feel like swimming upstream or against the current. Purpose always requires force. You don't, you don't just kind of drift into it. It's not how it works. Why? Well, next one. Uh, order versus chaos. Uh, in you remember this, uh, life, the universe, is kingdom order versus chaos. Um, the thing that defeats you in life is, is mostly, you know, the little stuff. It's just the way that everything works against you in life. You know, nothing is easy. I, I got up this morning um, and, uh, and put the coffee on and the power immediately went out. You know, which means I couldn't type up my sermon notes or print them. I said, okay, well, you know, I'll go to church and do that. So I, I shaved with cold water. That's how much I love you. I went outside to discover that the wind had blown down my fence. Thousands of dollars in damage and decapitated half the plants in my garden. Yeah. Chaos. You know, you just wake up to it every day. It's out there pounding on the walls of your house every night, you know, try, trying to get in. Uh, just a real-time example that you would all appreciate. I, I imagine a lot of you had similar experiences this morning. Um, that, you know, that, that's, that's life. And you have to realize that if you stand still, you're not standing still. If you stand still, things are falling apart around you. The only way to bring order is to actively build every day, is to go for it every day. Um, order versus chaos. Chaos is all the friction that you experience in your relationships. It's the aggravation at your job. It's the traffic that you have to drive through in life. Um, it's the betrayals. It's the... It's the backstabbing. Uh, it's the stuff that always threatens to take your focus away uh, from purpose, which is why Jesus was just so passionate about purpose, saying things like, no, no, seek the kingdom first, and then all these other things will be added to you. Because he knows if you try to solve all the little problems first 
and then get around to your purpose, you'll never do it. There are too many little problems. Your life will never be set, right? You can't save up to retirement and then think that you get to live the life that you want. And the purpose life starts now or it never starts at all. The weapons of chaos, this isn't really a saying, there was no swank way for me to say this, but the main weapons of chaos are vagueness, delay, diffusion, and undisciplined, undiscipled emotions. Uh, chaos wins when our ideas about purpose, the ideas about what we want to achieve in life are vague. Chaos thrives in vagueness, right? It doesn't, you know, you know I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when people fall into sin, they usually know it's sin, <laughs> you know. It's not like they were ignorant that they were doing something bad. And they didn't decide to do something bad. You know how people fall into sin? They decide not to decide. They just decide not to think very hard about it, right? They just achieve a state of vagueness, and it allows them to do almost anything. <laughs> That's what chaos does to us. It gets you to not think. It gets you to not decide. And so many people in life are afraid of making big decisions, and that just plays right into chaos's hands. Chaos wants you to be vague, which is one of the reasons that we do these exercises. Okay, what do you think your purpose is? What do you think your calling is? Say it. Say it out loud. Say it to somebody. Write it down. Because if, you're, if you don't, vagueness will get you every time. You'll just kind of spend the next 20 years not thinking much at all. And then those are 20 years you will never get back. Uh, delay. Chaos doesn't tell you, oh, don't do that good thing. Chaos says, do that good thing tomorrow. Or let's start that on Monday, not today. And if chaos can get you to delay a day, chaos can get you to delay a month or a year, and then maybe the opportunity has passed you by, and then you're frustrated and stuck. So delay. The time for purpose is now. The time for chaos is is always tomorrow. Diffusion. You know what diffusion means? It means a loss of focus. Fusion, diffusion. Uh, chaos tries to get uh, you to split your focus among many different things in life. You know, the, the most famous example of this in Scripture is Martha and Mary when Jesus was hanging out on her home and, and Mary is complaining, or Martha is complaining, hey, my sister is just sitting there, hanging out with you, Jesus, focused on you. I've got all these chores to do. I've got all these things to prepare for dinner. Tell my sister to help me. And Jesus says, uh, Martha, only one thing is needed. You know, sometimes you just got to let it go and be focused on the one thing. Um, so many times Jesus gave a, a lesson like that. So if you're focused on eight things today, uh, you won't achieve any of them. That's a little bit overstated, but you get my point. The first thing you do every day um, has to be uh, the important stuff. And undiscipled emotions, uh, a lot of us live according to our emotion. The biggest thing that prevents us from doing important things, the biggest thing that prevents us from having that important conversation with someone, 
or doing that chore that really, really needs to get done is how we feel about it. When we feel uncomfortable, we usually honor that feeling instead of honoring the principle at stake. And your emotions are powerful things, and they should not be denied, right? They should not be avoided, but they should know their place. They should know their place. There is a time to grieve in life because grievous things happen. We lose people that we love, or we lose opportunities that we thought would be ours. And there's a time for that grief, but that grief ultimately has to have its place. Faith needs to overcome that grief eventually. Faith needs to tell that grief where the boundaries are, you know? And I call that discipling emotions. The most powerful statement in a lot of lives is, I don't feel like it. But that can't be your most powerful statement. I don't feel like it, but it needs to be done. Because true is true, and God is God, and purpose is purpose. So, you can disciple your emotions just like you disciple your mind, or your spirit, or your body. All right, those are the weapons of chaos, and of course the weapons of, well, I call them the weapons of try. You know, faith is try. So the weapons of getting things done, of making an effort, are just the opposite. Instead of vagueness, the weapons of try, uh, is, the weapon of try is clarity. You have to be really clear about what you're about and how you're going to do it. Instead of uh, delay, uh, the weapon of try is priorities or setting priorities. What's the most important thing for you today? Get it done before 11 a.m. <laughs> You know, uh, what three things are you going to do this week, come hell or high water? Life is an exercise in setting priorities. Life is an exercise in setting priorities, which means figuring out what's important and eliminating what's not. That second half is often the, the most important one. You have to eliminate things if you're going to set priorities. Instead of diffusion, uh, the weapon of try is, is routines. Uh, routines are commitments, right? Do you have a routine for going through your day? Do you have a routine for going to your week? Do you have a routine for showing up at church? Do you have a routine for showing up at Ohana Group? Do you, you have a routine probably for going to work every morning, which is why you get there. <clears throat> but priorities are nothing without routines. You have to set it into your day. And if I have a routine for something, then I don't decide every day whether or not to do it. I've made that decision once, and I'm going to stick with it. And that's what makes you a powerful person, Uh, your routines. One of the first things God taught the people of God was routines. One of the big ones that we all know is, look, every every seven days, you're going to take a day off. You're going to have a routine for rest. Why? Well, because if you don't do it routinely, you won't do it. There'll be too many things hounding you in life. And then you'll end up exhausted. And then instead of resting, you'll just try to escape from life. You'll just try to avoid things in life. You'll do things half-heartedly because you're too tired all the time. So let's make rest part of your routine. 
That was the first routine that God taught us. Of course, he taught us lots of others as well. I mean, in the old days, the people of God had weekly routines, monthly routines for festivals, temple routines, and all these things, rituals. And today we read about that stuff in the Old Testament. We think, well, that's a bit overly engineered, isn't it? Do we need all of those rituals? Well, when we were young in God as a people, yes, we did need those rituals. Now that we're old, we get to set our own. But are we setting them? Do you have routines that work for you? Uh, And then, of course, disciple the motions, and I've already talked about that. I don't feel like it is not a good excuse. You know, the writers of the Psalms knew this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so despairing within me? Rise up. Praise the Lord. Live the life. Get your game on. Um, Discipleship. We talked a lot about discipleship and how to define it. We talked a lot about the attitudes that went in it. Uh, So here is my down and dirty definition, and uh, we made much of this in the sermon series. Discipleship is follow-through. Discipleship is follow-through. Discipline usually boils down to follow-through. On what things are you following through? It's not what you know. It's what you follow through on. Follow-through is an incredibly powerful uh, ingredient. And Jesus talks a ton about this. He, for instance, uh, speaks a lot about, well, you know, the half-built towers in life. Uh, I read, I read from uh, the first chapter of James earlier, you know, if you, if you know, if you hear the message and don't do it, you're like a guy who looks at his face in the mirror and then when he walks away forgets it, right? When you hear something from Jesus, you have to do it. Well, that's a paraphrase of the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, if you do these commands of mine, you're like a guy who builds his house on a rock. It stays solid. Um, if you hear these commands of mine and don't do them, if you don't follow through, you're like a guy who builds his house on sand. And when the wind comes, much like my fence, it blows away uh, with, with a great crash. Um, that was one. said, so don't, don't be like a guy who builds the tower halfway. That's worse than, worse than not starting at all. Or don't be like the king who goes to war without pausing to figure out whether or not he has the resources necessary to win the war, to follow through on the war. So we've boiled this down by saying, don't be half-assed. Be full-assed in life. We want to be full-assed people. That's your favorite one, isn't it? Yeah. I can tell. Uh, some of us are very full-assed, uh, and so we have those New Year's resolutions about exercising. But being full-assed is better than being half-assed. Uh, I think this is a great lesson for us at Blue Water. I think as a fellowship, we have proven that we will we'll try almost anything at Blue Water. You know, we'll try. I think the growth edge for us is to follow through to the 100% point and not to leave it 80% done. And most things in life get left at 80% done. Uh, That last 20% is where maturity is. You know, follow through fully. 
Uh, Jesus talked about that so often. He said, man, I wish you were hot or cold. What I hate is when you are lukewarm. And because you are lukewarm, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Just don't get stuck halfway through. Don't get stuck 80% of the way through. You know. And uh, I think the, the, uh, the worst enemy of the kingdom of God in the world today is Christians who are half-hearted. Right? People who attack the faith are not really the problem. People who say this is the faith and then represent it with lukewarmness are the problem. Uh, because what they demonstrate is powerlessness. What they demonstrate is lack of passion and, and immaturity. So this is a really big deal, which I think is why Jesus was so, uh, so insistent about it. Just a few more. You know, you have a, a purpose. God has given you a purpose in life. And the purpose that God has given you is unique to you. But we do all share in a general purpose, don't we? And it's to gather people into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in the opening of the Sermon on the Mount uh, to, to a crowd of people that had just gathered to him that were all kind of new to what he was doing. And he looked out over them and he said, you're the, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The reason that you exist is to bring order to the universe, is to bring kingdom order to, to the world, right? What we need to do is to be spreading this idea of God loving you and having a purpose for, you life, for your life. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by people. If, if you, you who are the salt of the world, if you're not doing that job, you're pointless. You're pointless. You know, so my, my slogan from that is like, be salt or be pointless. Either you do this job or you're missing the point of life. And, and, and Jesus said it rather, rather severely. He said, you're, you're worth nothing except to be trampled, which is really harsh. But sometimes he stated things like that for effect, didn't he? He wasn't afraid of of the bold statement. Look, either you're, either you're discipling other people, either you're bringing other people in, either you're bringing other people up, or, or you're, you're just kind of wasting your days. So in some fashion, your purpose is going to be about this. Now, it might look different for you than it looks for me. Uh, maybe you won't lead a church. Maybe you won't lead an Ohana group. Maybe you won't lead a band. Um, but you're going to be influencing somebody in some fashion. Uh, the people uh, around you daily, uh, which brings up what I think is probably our most popular slogan, always be discipling. Uh, everybody has heard this one. Um, Jesus uh, commands us uh, in, in the Gospels, to, to disciple the nations, to disciple all peoples is probably a more literal translation of that. Wherever you are, you should be discipling. You should be teaching people about their purpose in God and encouraging them to follow through on it. And that's how people uh, discover uh, God and who they are in God. Life is for purpose, and your purpose will involve you know, discipling people into the kingdom of God. So if you're at work, 
You should be discipling the people around you. If you're at school, you should be discipling in your classroom. If you're at home, you should be discipling your family uh, members or your neighbors. You should always be discipling. When should you be discipling? There you go. Um, because that's the loving and the purposeful thing to do. Well, how do you disciple people is a great question. How do you disciple people? What's the answer? What are some good ideas? Ask questions. What else? I'm sorry? Have a meal with them. A meal and a one good question is a kingdom event. We know that to be true. Well, here you go. Ask questions. Ask good questions and make clear invitations. That's it. And I think that's what Jesus taught his, his people. Jesus was always asking questions. That's kind of how he taught. And he was always making very clear invitations. Uh, to meals, like with Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm eating at your house tonight, which is a great sort of invitation because Jesus had to do nothing except show up. That's how I make invitations with people. Hey, let's do lunch. Why are you taking me? For Jesus' sake, that's what I do. Uh, but it worked for Jesus and, and Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus had immediate follow-through. Uh, what are some good discipling questions to ask for bonus points? If you get all five, uh, you get uh, extra, extra points in heaven. So what are they? What's God saying to you? Or what's important to you? Sure. What's, what's, what's stopping you? Before what's stopping you or what's making you hard, you ask, well, what are you doing about that? You know? What's Jesus, what's God saying to you recently? Or what, what is on your heart to do in the world? What are you doing about that? What's stopping you from doing it? You have to speak really loudly because there's some wind. I don't know if you noticed. Who are you bringing along? Who are you influencing uh, while you're doing that? And what's the last one? How, how can I help? Now, of course, there are lots of ways in which you could ask those questions, but those are five types of questions uh, that are really, uh, really easy uh, to ask and, uh, and quite biblical uh, in their origin, uh, if you care about such things. You can always make a conversation significant by asking a good question. You can always start a conversation by asking a good question. Uh, so get good at that. And that makes you provocative uh, in the world. And then clear invitations. Like, you can't just leave it there. You always have to suggest an action step. You know? And I like the, well, how can I help you with that question? Because that usually gives me an inroad to suggest some sort of action step. Well, I'll tell you what. You follow through on that, and next Wednesday I'll check in on, see how it, go, how it went. You know? I sort of align myself with, with action. Or, hey, why don't you come to uh, Ohana group with me? We have this thing where I meet with people and we encourage one another to pursue our purposes in the world. Or, why do you come to church? The pastor isn't as bad as you heard. Or, you know, let's, let's go surfing with some friends of mine and they're very encouraging people. Or whatever it is that you're going to do, but make some sort of clear invitation because that's how change gets released. Change only gets released with action of some sort. So you have to be a provocateur of, of action. Uh, that said, the most contagious thing about you is your attitude, right? The, most conta the, the biggest way that you're an influence in the world around you is the attitude that you bring into it. 
So when you walk into work uh, tomorrow morning, uh, the, uh, the, the biggest influence you're going to have is the attitude that you bring to your workplace. Are you going to have Monday morning attitude or are you going to bring in Sunday morning attitude when you walk in? Now faith, next one, faith is an attitude. When it comes right down to it, faith is an attitude. An attitude, you know what attitude is? Technically, it's the angle that you take to things. Uh, when airliners are landing, you know, they have like a certain, certain attitude toward the ground or attitude toward their target. The angle of approach. What angle of approach do you bring to things in life? You know? And faith is a rather positive uh, angle of approach. It's one that says God could do something great here right now. And that's the attitude that the world desperately needs because the whole world is afraid. The whole world is afraid. And faith is the opposite of fear. Do you move in anxiety? Do you move in fear? Do you move in pessimism? Or do you bring faith attitude everywhere that you go? You know, how many times in Scripture does Jesus say, don't be afraid? Don't, don't be afraid, just believe. He said to the parents after their little girl died, and then he resurrected the little girl in Mark 5. The most repeated command in the New Testament is, do not fear, or something quite like it. Do not fear, do not worry, do not worry about tomorrow, don't be afraid. Faith is an attitude. So when you share your faith, share faith itself. That's the best thing that you can do. What people need is faith. People don't need to hear about faith, right? So we are trained to think, uh, we have been trained in, in the church recently to think that sharing faith means sharing the reasons that you believe God exists or sharing the reasons that you believe Jesus is who he says he is. But sharing faith means sharing the attitude of faith. It means sharing a trust in positive outcomes sharing the attitude that God could do something great right here, right now. God is doing something great in your life. That's what it means to share faith. And once you share faith attitude, well, then you might be able to share about why you have that attitude, but that's got to come later. And when you read Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, that's what you see. You see Jesus walking around spreading faith. The dude never engages in apologetics. You know, he doesn't belabor scripture verses. He just says, hey, good news, everyone. This is a very faith attitude thing to say. He says, awesome, let's bring some kingdom order. I want the sick over here. I want the demonized over here. I got good news for the poor. We're going to share everything that we have. You guys are inside. You're not on the outside anymore. No, this is for you. And you foreigners and you broken people, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. This is it. We're moving now. Come on. This is a movement. Let's, let's go. And incidentally, it's not just me doing this, but I'm going to make you all fishers of men. Everybody gather in. Everybody be part of this. And that sounds very positive, doesn't it? Right? That was signature Jesus. That's what he did. And when people caught the spirit of that, when they caught the attitude of that, then they listened to anything he said. And they delighted in his debates with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because he was moving from a place of faith and they were moving from a place of 
religious fear and severity, and the difference was, was light and dark. The, the thing that we need to share most is that attitude, that faith. Do you have it? Do you have it? That's my battle in life. You know, when I wake up in the morning and my power is off and my, my fence is blown down, my first reaction is not, good news! God could do something great here! My first reaction is, I really needed that coffee. That's my life. Uh, I don't know about yours, but I got to put my faith on uh, in order to share it. Finally, last one, and let's talk about defeat. Those are all lessons that we've learned. Hopefully they're good anchor points for your life. But what, what will defeat you? What will keep you from following through on all those great things that we've learned and talk about that Jesus has shared with us? What will defeat you? And I think here's, here's the proverb worth remembering. People don't quit. They just drift away. And if you've had an encounter with God, if you've decided to believe God, the thing that will defeat you is not a decision to not believe. You will never decide not to be a purposeful person. What will happen to you is that you'll just drift away inch by inch. You'll just not follow through on this thing, and then you'll not follow through on the next thing, and you'll just drift. And then you'll feel like there's no life in your life, or you'll feel like, oh, this just isn't working for me. And what's happened is that you've died by inches. That's what kills you. What you really need is a culture where that's impossible. What you really need is a culture where everybody is in your face all the time, smiling, sharing faith with you, sharing attitude with you, reminding you that you're a, purpose, you're a person of purpose, reminding you that you're actually designed to be a great influencer. And that God is going to do something great with that this week. That there are people in your life whom God has put there so that you can free them from the fear of the world and turn them on to the power of the kingdom of God. Life is not really about feeling crappy all the time. Life is not really drudgery. It's purpose, and it's design, and it's faith and it's freedom, and it's good news. But dang, it's really hard to live there, isn't it? It's hard to, to keep a grip on that and to keep your rhythm. And usually you fall away an inch at a time. Let's kind of decide to not do that. Turn to the person next to you and say, oh, you're not falling away. You're not, you're not coasting. You're not coasting. You're not going to drift. Hey, let's be in this together. And then look each other in the eye and shake hands. Father God, I pray that you would really uh, anchor in our hearts the things that we have to know in a real-time sort of way. Whether it's a lesson about attitude or forcefulness, whether it's a, a plan, a follow-through that we have to have, put it there, right, right on our desktop so that we see it every day. Put it on the front of our spirits. I pray, Lord, 
at the end of this sermon series as we prayed at the beginning, that you would make us powerful people, that you would truly make us light in this world, light in our workplaces and classrooms and neighborhoods, lights in the storm. Uh, Take a moment and just listen from the Lord. Maybe he's going to suggest one or two of these phrases that particularly are important to you. can write them down or make note of them as you think is appropriate. Amen. <laughs>